Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and today we have a special guest, two special guests on our show. Uh, the first guest is someone who works with Shoulder of Orion, and his name is Inga. And Inga is our social media extraordinaire, and he's he runs our Instagram and our Facebook, all of most of the photos and things that you see posted, Inga posts. Inga's never been on a show. We've talked about it for a long time. And it sort of came about where Inga met our next guest, our premier guest, Michael Legato. And just for everyone listening, Michael worked on 2049 uh, in the VFX department. But how we, or essentially Inga came into contact with him or into knowledge of who he was were the 246 or more photos that were released via social media that are incredible and one thing led to another and Inga introduced me and Michael and we thought hey what better way to celebrate the two year anniversary of Blade Runner 2049 than having a discussion with someone who was on set for the film so Michael thank you for coming on oh my pleasure and Inga Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, <laughs> glad to finally be on, and um, I think it's going to be uh, one of those great episodes for sure. It will be very interesting. I hope so. Yeah. So, Michael, uh, how, like, what can you sort of describe your role on Twenty Forty Nine exactly? Oh, I, I had a bit of a strange role just because it wasn't totally traditional, but uh, I, I was hired as a VFX coordinator. Um, and um, you know, one of the first things that I did, sorry, I'm getting text messages. One of the first things that I did um, uh, was uh, sort of launch into the previous portion of it. So I had a little previous team and I managed them, uh, just uh, three people on site and then a whole team of people in uh, Montreal and Culver City and sort of all over the world over at MPC. Um, and so that was my sort of first blush and my first entree into the into working on the film, uh, which was interesting because I had to uh, interact with the art department and interact with wardrobe and interact with all these other uh, interesting departments and uh, sort of funnel in whatever they had available at the time in order to sort of build up our scenes. Uh, we had a whole uh, list of sequences that we had to get through. And in the process of that, we were preparing for uh, when Denis and Roger arrived, because they, they were still about, you know, six weeks out or so, something like that. And uh, so, yeah, so that's what, that's what I got started on, and, and that was sort of an interesting, uh, fun thing to do, because you get to study the, the filmmaker sort of from afar and sort of how to tool up the uh, the previous team. You know, I, I did a bunch of research into Roger and how he likes to shoot and what uh, lenses he prefers to shoot on and, and sort of, you know, learn his rules of, of cinema and how he likes to operate, and so... Uh, I, the, the team was prepared to do that and uh, you know I passed all that information along and so when Roger and Denis finally arrived you know things were essentially um, you know ready for him and uh, and so yeah so that was that was my first interaction with all of them and how did you get involved in filmmaking well I got involved in filmmaking because my father worked in film uh, works in film currently uh, he is a uh, visual effects supervisor um, I had been working with him since 2012. The first film I did with him was uh, Wolf of Wall Street. I had uh, I had just finished film school and uh, was out in San Francisco and was sort of not even sure where I was going to go or what my next move was. And 
uh, my father threw me a line and I went with him. And so I, I worked for about five years or so. And then uh, at the end of the Jungle Book, uh, one of, uh, um, you know, I, I heard uh, actually for about eight months, I heard the name Blade Runner swimming around. And uh, so I wanted to, to, you know, try to get on that one. And, and just sort of fatefully, it just sort of fell in my lap a little bit. I just sort of ran right into it. Uh, I'd heard about it, like, you know, up to like six to eight months before they were even hiring on it. And I knew that that was a project that I wanted to work on. And I just uh, got lucky. Were you a fan of the original Blade Runner? What, how, where was the original film on your radar in terms of your love of film? I mean, it was heavy on my radar. It's it's a classic movie. I I knew that the Blade Runner twenty forty nine would be a classic movie as well, and I was a huge fan of Denis and uh, the the filmmaker. And and you know, I had a, when I first heard about it, I went through a whole Denis Villeneuve uh, uh, marathon, and obviously watched a bunch of Roger stuff as well, and sort of got excited. And so when I ran right into the to the opportunity. I was really, 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 really intrigued to be on his version of such a classic, great film, and uh, and yeah, I the the original film is 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 you know uh, basically you know film you know I'm not sure I'm not sure how you you'd rate it, but it's it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Yes, an unimpeachable masterpiece. That's what I would call exactly. it. <laughs> that is a way to say it. Uh, for for your shoot in um, Hungary, Budapest, how how long were you there for twenty forty nine? I was there for about nine to ten months. Um, okay. Yeah, I was there. I was there for for just long enough, I would say. Um, yeah. But I but it was a really really interesting and thoroughly enjoyable experience, uh, and I loved Hungary. Yeah, it's a great city, of course. As the, uh, as the late, great uh, Stephen Vaughan was the still photographer uh, on 2049, how mm. was it to be on set with such an icon? And did you get any tips from him about uh, photography? You know, I, I didn't really. I interacted with him uh, quite a bit. Uh, and he was part of the social group that we all went out, you know, and when we go have a night of drinking, he would sort of be around. And, and he was always close by, uh, Denis and, and uh, the editor, it seemed. Um, uh, but he, I, I sort of, I sort of truthfully, sheepishly, you know, approached him, you know, I, I knew who he was and I studied who he was and I looked at his photographs well before, well before I even considered taking photographs on the film myself. And so I, I knew his importance, but, but maybe other people did not, but he was, you know, he's Stephen Vaughn, he's the man, he's the, and so I, I, I didn't necessarily ask his, ask his advice cause I didn't want to, you know you know, bother him too much. Um, we chatted from from time to time and, and there was a moment where I thought it was going to be, you know, politically uncomfortable because, you know, who was I to, you know, just some younger kid taking photographs on a movie that he takes photographs on. I, I wasn't sure how he would take that. And finally, when it sort of, uh, uh, you know, when we kind of ran into each other, he was very, 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 you know, uh, happy to you know, he, he basically passed the baton along a little bit. He was he was very happy that I was doing it. He was not threatened or, or bothered by it at all, which was very nice because I was worried that he might be. But oh, that's yeah, that's great. Uh, and uh, as far as uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine was shot in uh, Hungary, how was it for you to work with a foreign film crew as opposed to working with a film crew in the U.S.? 
It was it was pretty fantastic, actually. We had we had quite the the European Union going. Uh, people from everywhere. The the Italians were the set dressers, and they were spectacular. Uh, we had the Germans that were the uh, special effects uh, guys. They were also spectacular. Um, uh, we had a bunch of uh, a crew from English. We had local crew. They were, and the local crew is also, I have to say, just like Hungarians are the best. Like they, they like they they populated the um, uh, a lot of like the local labor and office PA positions and PA positions and and camera and stuff like that. They filled in a lot of the crew. Although our, our uh, key department heads were American English. The, every every other crew position was filled by uh, the Hungarians, and they were uh, super hardworking, incredibly nice, incredibly kind people. I I really enjoyed working with them. Looking through your photos, um, there's a few photos of Sean Young uh, on set uh, in Budapest, and um, you managed to get some great ones of her sitting in a chair with the, the knee. Uh, sort of directing or looking mm -hmm. over her for the shot. I take it this was uh, for some visual reference for the face that would later be added to actress Lauren Pita, who played Rachel 2.0? Yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. Uh, MPC was the company who was doing the, the de-aging, uh, you know, young young Rachel version of it. They, they basically set up a, a and I'm going to butcher it because I don't know articulately what what exactly they were accomplishing, but they basically set up like a you know a facial capture rig, and they uh, they sort of did a blend between the two actresses. Uh, they photographed the uh, the other actress who played the, the young Rachel, who was sort of the the body model for it. And then, funny enough, I uh, my supervisor uh, John Nelson, who's the visual effects supervisor, uh, our our VFX PA. Uh, was her son, uh, Quinn. He was 18 years old, young guy. He was having the time of his life out there. We absolutely loved Quinn. And uh, our supervisor had the idea because he had still the same cheekbones that she did when she was younger. So we also, you know, basically put him in makeup and put him in the chair and scanned his face as well. And that's one of the, the secrets of how they achieved uh, young Rachel, if I understand correctly, is that they used uh, Quinn, her son's cheekbones. Yeah, I see that uh, you're taking a photo of that, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, the one thing that sort of Jamie and I were discussing was uh, we see in some of your photos that there's a, a couple of uh, shots where you have horses in them. And you told us that this was for a dream sequence that sort of didn't make it into the film. Have you any idea who this dream sequence was for? And... Anything you, know, you can talk talk about that? You know, I'm not entirely sure. I don't believe it was written anywhere in the script. I could be wrong about that, but I think it was something that that Denis was toying around with the idea of having you know horse sequence. And I can only assume that it was 4K. Um, I'm not entirely sure about that, but we we shot about four to six hours worth of uh, <laughs> horse shots uh, of horses on our stage, and and I think at the end of the day, it was you know we were maybe a little ill prepared for that shoot. But whatever it was, you know, I'm not sure what the reason was. But it just didn't it, it didn't make it in. In terms of your role as a visual effects coordinator, as listed on IMDb, what is a uh, aside from the photos, which obviously we're going to get back into, but what is a what is a normal day for you, or what was a normal day for you on set? You know, it, I have such I feel like I have such a very bizarre 
interpretation of a coordinator. I feel like I'm I'm probably a bad impersonator of a coordinator. I I for me like I'm not very good at, at sitting at a desk and 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 working all day long. This is not something I'm very gifted at. I'm more of a floor person, and I have an interest in cameras, which. Um, sort of what led me to take photographs anyway but anything camera related i would sort of insinuate myself on my my daily you know roles on you know differ from movie to movie but usually camera related so i on this particular one in addition to uh managing previs uh, our previs team and sequences that way i uh i also uh, helped manage the the onset witness cam and data wrangling team um and all of the, you know, and, and handled all the processing their cameras and and setting up a pipeline and things like that. But my my daily activity at that office was was basically running around from department to department all day long, trying to track down uh, things that we needed for our previous team. And that's sort of what originally led me to run into all these different departments and sort of get close with them, like wardrobe. I I absolutely love Renee April. I loved and and I interacted a lot with Paul uh, Inglis from uh, the art department and Dennis Gassner and them. And I had weekly meetings with them uh, as well. And then uh, and then towards the end of it, I got to get a little closer with the special effects department as well. But uh, basically running around all day long, dipping in and out of uh, stages, uh, dealing with the camera stuff. And then, uh, and then the other half of my time was just wandering around and looking at all the other stages. We basically occupied almost every stage at the studio. And every single stage had something interesting and new going on. And, uh, and it was, Pretty amazing. Uh, from your photos, it seems like quite a quite a, quite a few of them are actually from the uh, set of the short film Twenty Four Day Eight, Nowhere to Run. Mm -hmm. And I was won wondering, how was it was it to be on the set of a Luke Scott short film that set up the character of Sapper Morton for Blade Runner Twenty Forty Nine? Well, it was it was really fun. Uh, that that was a great experience because I I had sort of. Um, you know, technically, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a, a thing that I was originally intended to cover uh, just for my role as a VFX coordinator. Uh, my VFX producer um, uh, knew that I was taking photographs, and she was, you know, wanted to sort of help me along a little bit. And then, um, uh, actually, throughout the course of the the production, uh, people started noticing that I was taking photographs, and so the I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the studio asked me to go shoot it. Uh, and you know, as far as actually being there, you know, it, it was still exciting and really interesting. And what was interesting for me about it was just all the different background actors and the wardrobe and the art department efforts. And, and it was, you know, it was pretty amazing. You know, I, I don't know, I, I, truthfully, I, I never watched the, the, the short in its entirety. I only saw, you know, little bits of it. And for me, it was just a, a really, really fun photographic exercise. Uh, and everyone was nice enough. Uh, uh, Luke Scott was fairly pleasant and the actors were nice and the whole experience was, you know, low stress. It was probably, well, at least for me it was. Um, and it was just really fun to, to, to have free reign and shoot whomever I wanted to. That's great. Uh, we also saw some, from some uh, images, of course, that Sir Ridley Scott was um, visiting the set in Budapest. Uh, were you present when he was there or did you hear anything about that? I, I saw him when he was, you know, taking a tour with the, the producers and uh, Denis, but other than that, I didn't really interact with him, no. Okay. Uh, obviously, you know, when he shows up, you pay attention. Uh, yeah. Uh, a master filmmaker, and that's what you do around master filmmakers. Yeah. What's interesting about your photos, um, and 
Well, number one, a lot of people aren't really aware. Like a movie comes out, they might see some behind-the-scenes images or some, you know, interviews with actors uh, about, you know, what it was like to make the film. Very, very, it's it's very, very um, unusual that, crew, you know, you get to see the crew or some of the people who are involved in some of the 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 jobs that just don't get any attention. And what I loved about those photos is that it it showed filmmaking as this sort of small city, this whole environment that's happening where you have builders and craftspeople and the costume department, and it, it felt like its own sort of almost dystopian world. And it was a massive, massive shoot. I mean, it was, the crew was huge, the sets were huge, the, you know, the studio was very very large but i i don't think people fully understand the kind of work that goes into making a film which is one of the reasons why when um i'm talking about or with people about maybe someone doesn't like a film they sort of throw it away verbally they're like oh no i hated it and they're done always sort of bringing the conversation back well yeah okay that's fine if you don't like a movie but realize how much work went into creating that how many months or years took to to build that one I don't know, column over there or to get that one shot in this scene right. And the, again, the work and the level of detail that goes into each, each step, each moment, each process, um, each, each shot, it, it's just incredible. And your, your photos really, really outline that and give life to the process of filmmaking and that it, it does, excuse the pun, take a village to really create a film. And, 2049 isn't just a film it's 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 an entire beast on its own um so all of that to say i think that your photos are gold they're the, they're the most in-depth expansive photos of the film that we've seen and part of this is because there's such a mystery behind 2049 uh, there's no real documentary uh like much like blade runner there's you know several documentaries that explore the how the film was made, all sorts of things. Whereas 2049 does not have any of that. So all of us are sort of like, what was going on? And there's some featurettes here or there, but there's not much. And your photos are the f first documentation that uh, of, a, of a larger world that we're all sort of still wondering about. Oh, that's, that, that's really exciting to hear, actually, because, you know, that's sort of how I felt. You know, when you walk around the the chaos of the entire making of the movie you know which is you know organized chaos um and you form relationships with all these people you, you you know what everybody's doing and you know how important it is and there's like the just walking around from stage to stage there's like tons of stories everywhere there's all these struggles that are going on there's all these things that people are you know trying to figure out or you know struggling through or not quite you know solving and and there's all these you know problem solvers constantly, you know, it, you know, there's a, you know, basically, you know, I'm not being very articulate, but uh, there's just like all these like little mini tales that are, that, that I felt that were important to capture. And, and because the, um, you know, the security was so intense on this film, it kind of opened up an interesting opportunity, you know, for me to, to exploit a little bit. And I, I noticed that, you know, that was a really interesting aspect to it. And it felt, especially at the time, it really did feel like we were working on a, on a, on a, a historical film. And, like, it would be a shame that, you know, you didn't capture any of the interesting stuff. And I've always been interested in behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, my the, the film that actually 
got me into wanting to make films was not Apocalypse Now, but the uh, Hearts of Darkness, the making of Apocalypse Now. And the very first film that I ever did in high school was actually uh, when I was 16 years old, I went out um, uh, to shoot a commercial with my father and I just had like a little TV camera and, and shot just the, all the, the, you know, the crew. And so I, I think somewhere deep down, it was always kind of there. And, and Blade Runner just sort of presented this great opportunity to sort of, you know, you know, allow me to pursue, you know, that's honestly, like, I, that's what I grew up around. I really, really, really think that the crew is, you know, doing probably some of the more interesting stuff, like, and they always have been, um, and someone should capture it. And I just happened to be the, the person who did. You mentioned that uh, you were on the set uh, to watch the great DP, Roger Deakins, to set up a scene he shot with uh, Jerry Leto. Mm -hmm. uh, how how was that uh, experience, and which scene did uh, you see he, sh he was shooting? I saw him. Uh, I, I I was basically like Roger Deakin Shadow. He probably probably knew to some degree that I was. You know, I was. I he was one of the main focal points for me. He's who I wanted to study the most while I was there. I wanted to study everybody, but he was the person that I was mainly interested in. Um, and so I would I would you know, basically stock, he would have private lighting sessions that I would sort of sneak into. And any, anywhere I could, I could sneak on the set and watch him. That particular scene was interesting because it was sort of in the process of, you know, I had other things going on and, you know, it was sort of like a fun idea. It's like, well, you know, I, I need to go back to the office anyway, but on the way to the office is the scene, you know, let me step in and see it, uh, you know, and, and, and see where they're at and what they're doing. And the scene that I saw was uh, the, the birth of the, uh, the replica and uh, Jared Leto's, you know, sort of eerie interaction with her uh, as soon as she was essentially born. And so that's the scene that I, I saw in particular. I, I visited throughout, but that was the one that had the biggest impression on me. And to me at the time, just like a total layman, uh, you know, I, I thought it was spectacular. It was, you know, it was really invigorating as a young filmmaker to, to watch something like that. And Roger's lighting setups were... You know, I've been stocking them, you know, for previs and for my own, you know, uh, educational purposes the entire time. So I, I tracked all their progress. So it was interesting to see what he was planning and then to see how he executed on stage. And and it was awesome. You know, the, the lights that he shined into the water and the reflectivity and the hard light and this, you know, through the little slats and the, the circular um, rig that he created that basically, you know, you know, it was like... Uh, you know, it's like, it, you know, tossing a chandelier around and so, and, and, and light would come in, you know, the characters would come in and out of light. And it was like a really brilliant, beautiful thing to see, really, and to see how that man did it. It was always inspiring. Uh, one of the more, uh, more difficult scenes to edit, as we have heard from uh, editor Joe Walker, was, of course, the Vegas scene with the dancers Elvis and uh, Marilyn Monroe. Uh, you have taken some lovely shots from that set, and I take it that this was done in, in stages. Uh, and how was it for you to watch this scene come together when seeing it on a big screen? Well, it's it's really funny because, you know, the, the actual shoots for all those elements were the, like, big, gigantic shoots, it felt like. And then when you see it in the movie, there's sort of, like, background noise. Um, but they were really, like, spectacular to be present for, just because it was, like, a whole you know, uh, basically a song and dance, uh, so to speak. Um, 
I had actually been uh, tracking that particular scene because we were pre-visiting it and pre-visiting it with Joe Walker uh, and his editorial staff. Um, uh, everybody was fairly busy at that point, and he was fairly busy, so Joe Walker sort of took over the pre-vis department, and, and John Nelson, my supervisor, was you know handling eight different vendors, and so it was just sort of the a small little group pre-visiting that scene and kind of, you know, and, and not entirely one-to-one, -one, but it's pretty close to, you know, I, I'm sure it was difficult to, to edit. I'm, I'm not sure about the, the post-sided things, but, you know, it was, I don't know. I didn't answer your question at all. I know that. Um, but it, <laughs> those, are, those are at least my thoughts on it. Those are my, my disjointed thoughts on the whole, on the whole, on the whole scene. I may give that what you will, but yeah. Great. Do you, uh, um, yeah. do you, I, I, I'm sure spending, you know, 10 months on, on location in Budapest, I'm sure it was amazing and overwhelming and a lot of hard work and, you know, you had great days and maybe not so great days, but I'm curious and you don't have to give me one, but are, what di did you have days that where you're like, you experienced something, whether it was uh, a moment on set while they were filming or whatever that, Memories that stick with you in your mind and you're like, I'll never forget this day because this, this, and this was happening at that point. Do you have stories like that that you'd like to share? I do. Let me, let me think about that for a minute. Honestly, the whole experience was a little bit of that. It was the, the experience itself, you know, was, it was kind of equal parts, every part of the emotional spectrum. Like it was really hard and really great. And there's when days were bad, they were very bad. I, I, you know, my taking of photographs on the film was not a widely, uh, it, depending on who you spoke to, was not a widely appreciated thing. Uh, there was all sorts of political things that were sort of going on, and 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 that that project sort of became my outlet. Um, and so any any of the days where I was actually shooting stuff and having a moment to shoot things, and when I knew you know I shoot something really shot something really spectacular, those are the things that that. That sort of stick with me just sort of randomly encountering things like the uh a lot of the the photographs i took well there's one particular photograph i took i'm not sure if you recall specifically um it's it's all the lights going off and the dancing you know in the uh on the stage and if you look carefully it's, there's a couple figures that are sort of silhouette uh, and and not quite the foreground but the mid-ground and uh that was roger deakins and i i happened to just stay late to shoot um uh, uh, to shoot some stuff, and then I saw him walk in, and then I got to basically see an entire light show. That was kind of amazing to me. Um, uh, the, you know, there's a, there's a couple different things. I, there is a there's a location manager by the name of Emma Pill, um, who I really enjoyed, and she was kind of the one that that inadvertently paved the way for my being able to take photographs the in in, in such a way. Um, she, uh, she was scouting in Iceland and she came back and she had to, uh, prepare something for, um, uh, the director and, and all the producers the very next morning. And she was really sick and she had to process all this footage and all these videos. And, uh, it was way late in the day. I was, I was packing up. I essentially was about ready to, to go home and I sort of ran into her and she, uh, needed a bunch of help, and so I stayed a couple extra hours and, and while she went home and transcoded her videos and sort of got them all ready for her to prepare in, uh, the next day. Um, I think that went, I think the presentation went well enough because we ended up shooting it, but um, 
months later, kind of when I had sort of gotten in some trouble um, uh, in regards to my photographs, and uh, I had people that were, you know, the, you know for example, the producer um, was sort of on my side, one of the, uh, this guy named Bill Carraro. Uh, he was the one who actually encouraged me the entire time to take photographs. He was the reason why I did take photographs. But I got into a little bit of trouble, truthfully, with my with my own department because I oftentimes I was doing that, and perhaps I should have been doing other things. But I, I couldn't help myself. Um, but uh, when I got in a little bit of trouble and uh, I sort of wasn't quite as allowed to take photographs the same way that I was anymore, and I was very sort of down about that. Uh, Emma Pill approached me because uh, the, the company was about to go on location uh, for a week and a half and she came to me and, and uh, she told me that the lunchroom was really drab and dreary and she would love to uh, post my photographs on the wall. And uh, that was one of those sort of great weeks that I, even though I wasn't on location, I all these different things sort of were set in motion you know, in my absence. And, uh, and, you know, it was a place where the entire film essentially saw all my photographs, essentially of them, for the first time. Um, and uh, I got a lot of help from the uh, Hungarian art department, VAs. They were the ones that printed all my photographs. Um, and so the fact that they were all hanging there uh, and I was getting all this feedback from afar, not realizing, you know, who exactly was walking in, but the studio head saw it and that that's basically what allowed me to shoot the, the 3 a.m. shoot uh, with Lucas Scott. Um, Denise's manager saw it and uh, were, reached out to me and were incredibly nice about it and kind about it and, and encouraged me along, which they did not have to do, which was nice. And all the actors saw it and things like So it was like one of those like amazing moments when I was like absolutely like in the pits. Uh, just this one thing that I did, you know, five months ago, uh, sort of, you know, this one little kindness I did for somebody it paid dividends in ways I never would have expected. And, and so when I heard about, you know, people's reactions and then people started calling me for work and to photograph other things in the movie, it was a really special, special occasion. And, and even though I was probably should have been focusing more on my visual effects work, it, it, it you know, it was very soul crushing to not to, to suddenly not be allowed to take photographs anymore. And, and, uh, you know, eventually my, my superior, um, who I was sort of battling with, she understood as well and sort of uh, allowed me to go back and take photographs. Um, so yeah, th I think that was one of the most special moments. But every moment, every day, there was a special moment. That's why I, I took the photo photographs of it. Like everything that you see, everything that I actually photographed, those were just strange little moments. I didn't prepare for any of that stuff. I just walked right into it, you know, and, and you know, and, and sometimes I was a little more brazen than others and got a little closer to the incident that took place. But it, it Every day was was like that, you know, for everybody. I think not just me. You know, everybody experienced that that sort of the magic of the making of that movie. Um, and, it, and it feels that when the movie was released, that you know, it wasn't the same movie. You know, we were all, we were all working on a on a classic film, on an art house film, and we felt it, and we thought we were making like a smash hit. And I think perhaps, you know, critically, you know. People will grow to love it, especially as years go by. But that's that's the magic that we all felt, in my opinion. One of the photos, um, one of my favorite photos that you have shared with us is um, is actually a shot of a little girl holding around what I think is um, is a makeup artist uh, in the orphanage scene. 
there's uh, there's just just a warmth to that uh, photo and um what was it like on the set with all those kids around it was it was great there was actually pretty well organized um uh, which I'm not sure why that's remarkable to me, but it, <laughs> I was impressed by it. Um, but no, it was it was really great. Uh, it, having all those children around, it sort of opened up. You know, everybody's so genuine. All the children are so genuine. There's no ego involved whatsoever, obviously. You know, they're just like genuinely kind, sweet, you know, people that are working on a film. They have no idea. They probably never even heard of the original version of it. And so it just sort of breathed a lot of life into the movie. And, you know, everyone was very sweet and everyone was very sweet with them. And it sort of created a nice uh, nice uh, setting to photograph in just because of all of those nice moments. Do you have any stories from the set on uh, how the actors worked together and what they were like on set? I mean, it seems like uh, Harrison Ford and, and Ryan Gosling got on so well during the filming and also the following press tour. You know, I'm 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 not entirely sure to be honest. I I, I sort of that was more Stephen Vaughn's, uh, you know, area, and I I didn't feel like you know I, I felt like I would step over the line. I would be uh, not respectful of his you know arena by shooting anything like that, and 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 I wasn't quite you know there. I was there for more of the making and the construction of it. Uh, as far as everybody, everybody seemed great. Uh, Harrison Ford almost. Purposely, with a maniacal laugh, uh, ran me over with his his uh, golf cart, uh, <laughs> and he would do that with people. He would just go full speed, and and if you're in his way, you're jumping out of his way. Like he's not stopping. And he, he thought that was pretty funny. Uh, I don't know. Everyone seemed great individually. I never saw them work. Um, uh, the actor who was in the the forensics lab, um, he was like incredibly nice and great. Uh, everybody seemed respectful and, and, and perfectly fine. Uh, Sylvia was, was incredibly nice and wonderful and super fun to be around and uh, for the limited times that I was around her. And everybody was like that. It was like a family. Uh, it, so if there was any, uh, anything on set, I didn't get a chance to see it, but I assume it was all good. Is there a series of photos or one that you are like this photo is my favorite or it was able to capture exactly what you had, had seen before you took the photo? Um, I did a series, the, the French dancer photos uh, were a lot of fun for me uh, just because it was, you know, I, I, I was teaching, I, I didn't, truthfully, I didn't really know, you know, that much about cameras, uh, you know, before I went out to Budapest. Um, and so I was sort of learning, you know, on the job. And there was a lot of different photographs that, that did not turn out very well because, A, I didn't know how to work my camera well enough, or B, I wasn't quick enough, or C, I, I didn't know how to edit it well enough. And and about midway through the movie, I, I, I basically hit a stride where I learned enough about photography where I could actually start reflecting what I was looking at. The French dancer scene was kind of that moment where it was like, oh, I, you know, th th these photographs take themselves. Um, uh, the portrait of Joe Walker is one of my all-time favorite photographs I've ever taken. Um, uh, that was a great experience um, for me. And, and that was, you know, for every photograph that you see printed, there's probably about 10 other ones that I discarded just because they weren't quite good enough. Um, uh, that's another one. The, the spinner is crashing. That was, you know, a big one for me. That was really, really fun to do. 
Uh, that was sort of at the height of my knowledge at the time, my limited knowledge at the time. Um, and, and then just all the extras, all the extras I really uh, enjoyed photographing. I like photographing faces and people in particular, and I, I, I haven't released any of them because they're, they're sort of a different quality, but I have, uh, before I released any of the photos that photographs that you saw, I have a whole album of just the crew, just sort of candid crew photographs, which I should share with you guys at some point, I suppose. And I have some uh, photos of Stephen Vaughn and, uh, all the various people in the film that way. I don't know. I did, once again, I just droned on. I don't know if I answered your question. No, that's but, fine. Uh, I know sometimes uh, when you're creating or you're in the middle of creation, it's sort of hard to pinpoint, oh, it's this. It's sort of everything maybe that kind of contributes to an experience. So I completely understand it. And I, But I also realize like the sets like are massive. Some of them are massive. Some of them are small. And I, like uh, you have that one shot of the teapot, that really neat teapot on the table in Staline's, um, whatever you call that, her her isolation chamber, which is mm -hmm. a really beautiful photograph, and it's a it's a um, uh, an angle of that scene that we hadn't been shown before, and I thought that was really really great. Was there a, any particular set that you were like, wow, this is impressive, or was it just all impressive? Honestly, it was all really impressive. The the amount of detail just in any little corner. Um, Sapper's home, uh, they, were, they, they brought some of that um, indoors that was really well set designed uh, and, and set, pardon me, set decorated. I thought that was, that was just a simple little home. Um, all the exterior stuff, the trash mesa, I mean, that is a, that was a huge undertaking. That was, uh, I, I'm not sure if you guys recall specifically, but there is a, a black and white photograph of someone with a rake who's just raking some soil that that area that he's raking that that became the trash mesa, that became that became a whole entire set. Um, actually, that may not be true. That became that became the Sapper Morton area. But that was the very very beginning uh, work on basically putting together a gigantic scene. Um, I'm trying to think what else is great. The the Vegas set was pretty amazing and fun to be on. Uh, the hologram funhouse set was pretty amazing. Um, Blowing up the house was awesome. Uh, everything was honestly everything was really detailed and fantastic. It was it was really inspiring to be around. I think the trash mesa to me though is 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 most amazing because they, they literally had to like outsource all this European trash and junk like from all over the con you know all over the continent and literally just funneled it into this uh, little valley uh, on uh, you know as part of the back lot and uh, all the way around that that's all the metal work pretty amazing yeah you have an amazing shot of uh, ryan gosling stunt double flying through the air from the trash mesh uh, site yeah i got a lot of mileage out of that set uh, so looking at a photo we see you have some great shots of um, that you took uh, in front of sort of in front of case apartment with all the snow in it i would imagine that this this snow was brought in to the movie set since uh, the shoot was um, done in the summer autumn time yeah yeah it was definitely definitely a lot of fake snow um i don't even recall that it was even a particularly cold evening that night um it was just a ton of snow yeah that was a, that was a whole city block uh, that was fun too actually that was really cool uh regarding sean young uh did you have some stories uh, about how she had to go 
in out in disguise if she was <laughs> to venture venture outside the, during this shoot when she yeah. was visiting. Sean Young was was hilarious. She was really great. I I really loved interacting with her. We she a couple of us kids. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a small sort of impromptu group. There's a guy named Joe Waymeyer, uh, Quinn, who's uh, her son, Lindsay uh, Kennedy, who is the um, uh, travel coordinator, and uh, my friend Keith, who was another VFX coordinator. You know, we we all ended up going out, and my friend Kate, I believe, uh, there. And um, we all went out with her one night, and she was in drag. You know, she had a had a wig on, had a blonde wig on, had sunglasses on. I don't even think she was supposed to be making any sort of public appearances whatsoever. She was basically just supposed to hide in her hotel, and she just got you know sick and tired of it, needs fresh air. So we ended up having like a really really fun night out with her, and and had a very funny evening with her. She was she's a really really interesting woman. She gave me some of the best advice someone's ever given to me. Uh, yeah, she was she was a real pleasure. She was that that was a really really funny scenario just because we all knew that we were doing something wrong. We all knew that the the what the producers had sort of demanded, and we were just having fun with it anyway. Um, yeah, anytime anytime I don't answer one of your questions, which which I feel like is every time, just just tell me, and I will. I I tend to uh, meander. No, so no, I never no, it's, actually, uh, it's. I actually tell you anything that's that you want to that you want to hear about any given subject. Um, no, I think it's fine. I, I, you know, again, I, I feel like the film. You know, you, you, you've spoken about working on the film. Felt like you're working on this historical document almost, and certainly in terms of fandom, I've never seen hardcore fandom embrace a sequel like I have. 2049 so in that in that context it was a smash success however Blade Runner isn't for the masses Blade Runner is very heady and philosophical and just there's a lot of stuff going on in it that you know fans of Independence Day or I don't know other more lowbrow science fiction people just aren't going to like um so I wasn't really surprised that the film didn't make a lot of money. I knew it wouldn't. Um, it's not the film, you know, uh, a brooding, two, almost three-hour cerebral sequel of, you know, one of the greatest science fiction films of all time that's also brooding and cerebral and long. Wasn't gonna, it just wasn't, I, I wasn't surprised that it got the reception that it did. However, it was wonderful to, to read the critical response, to hear the critical response, and to just see fans just falling head over heels in love for the film. So in that regard, and obviously Hollywood is a business. They're in the business of making money. Yes, they make art, but they need to pay their bills. And in that regard, it was not a financial success. But I, I just, you know, in, in reference to the words that you said, I really believe that it was a success it was a smash success and there's no other film like it and it, it for some people's better than the original so regardless of what people thought of it afterwards you know i, I it was definitely a, a unique movie that is not a typical movie you know i think it, you know it sort of had the pressure on it that it was supposed to be this big franchise you know kickstarter and i don't know that Denis makes those movies he makes art house movies that are and this was a very large budget art house film that i really enjoyed and and part of what makes you know my photographs i think probably interesting for other people is not you know that i i somehow imbued some sort of magic the the movie itself 
had a had a the making of the movie itself had a magic to it. It had a feel to it. it you know, I just took photos of it. I didn't. You know, all of that was because everybody who was involved was an A player and and top their uh, game in terms of uh, you know what they do in the industry and and everyone's efforts was to make you know a movie like this. You know, no one I don't, I don't think anyone wanted to make a big franchise movie to please everybody. Everyone was trying to everyone was trying to do justice to the original film and because of the the import of of the original film. You know, I don't think that anyone wanted to just replicate it. They wanted to, you know, I think filmmakers wanted to make it their own. And, you know, that's why, you know, Roger didn't shoot like, you know, Jordan Cronenworth um, um, or Jeff Cronenworth, I mean, um, uh, not because he, you know, it's like you, it made, it's, it's, a, it's a completely standalone film. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I don't know. I'm glad people, I'm glad people enjoyed it. Um, but I'm sorry that it didn't do better it's because it deserved to do better, in my opinion. Did you, upon seeing the film, did you feel like, you know, after spending all that time on set, you know, in the trenches after the film came out, were you satisfied? Were you, was it the film that you expected to see? That's a good question. I think it was for the most part. I was, I was, you know, interested to see, you know, I, I wanted to see what, what, Joe and Denis did after we shot with it, and I was, I think, satisfied to just see the different, you know, the differences of how the script read versus how it played on, uh, uh, on the screen. Um, at one point, they uh, I, they were toying around with making Joy more of like a serpent-like, sort of snake-like character, sort of making her less, you know, fun and about a love story and and more about you know her being you know manipulative you know for you know aspect of the film and so i was sort of interested to see what they did with that and they, they ended up going the other way and you know there's you know i also think like and and i could be totally wrong about this this is a completely outlandish theory on my part but i at one point um uh denise children um uh came to set and they stopped in at Previs and had a chance to meet them. And, and uh, I, you know, had, had, you know, was somewhat close with, uh, with, you know, the crew that hang out with Tanya and, and Denis. And so I sort of hung out with them sort of socially outside of it. Um, and, and they're obviously together. And so it, at the time we were previsiting, I think something having to do with joy. And it sort of dawned on me, um, especially after seeing Arrival in, in Hungary, that this might be more of a personal movie or there might be more personal aspects to this movie than other people really realize. And, you know, for a moment, uh, you know, I thought that maybe, and, and this, is, this is insinuating so much on my part, and hopefully this is not uncouth to, to suggest such a theory, but, you know, I, I sort of felt that in some ways the dynamic between Kay and Joy were very similar to, you know, Denis and Tanya. I have a few sort of final questions or about Inga. Do you want to, did you have more that you wanted to ask? Yeah, I actually have just one more. Uh, you're taking some great shots of the cars, spinners for Blade Runner 2049. How was it to see those cars so close and personal? It was, it was, that was awesome. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, they were, those were pretty great. There's actually an interesting story about the, 
which I have a lot more photographs of the actual, you know, spinner crew uh, that I haven't I haven't published yet. Um, uh, they in particular had a pretty amazing story, and their undertaking was insane. It was that was sort of like the the spinner department was the department where where they just couldn't keep a department head, and so the 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 weight of that entire unit sort of fell upon uh, this sort of like a handful of young kids in a way, like they were all in their early twenties and all of a sudden they had to support, you know, an entire movie's worth of creating spinners and they did a really, really, really good job, but they were, they had probably the hardest job on the entire film by a factor of 50, you know, they, they, they went through it and the, the, their end products, the spinners themselves are, pretty amazing, pretty well designed. And, and a lot of the spinners that we had designed and we sort of built never really, a lot of them didn't end up in the film at all. We just had them sort of driving around randomly, um, on the, on the back lots. And, and they were, I think that some of them actually were used for the, the shorts, but the amount of stuff that was designed, uh, in that department was pretty spectacular. And, and, and uh, yeah. I don't know. Once again, I didn't answer. I didn't answer your question. But uh, basically, the spinners were great. That's the that's the long and short of it. Um, but that particular story, I, I liked a lot. And photographing those those guys who made that department work it was really satisfying as well because they were sort of the unsung heroes of the movie. Those who created the spinners. We're on the two year anniversary of twenty forty nine coming out. Obviously, you know I've I've looked up your IMDb. You've been involved in a, a lot of other productions. What are you What are you working on now? What What's sort of in your space? Um, after After Lion King, I decided to take some time off um, and and work on my own projects. I had always intended to to make my own films, um, and um, and now is sort of my moment to do that. I, I in the moment I am sort of in talks with uh, Epic Games and. Uh, couple other companies, Lux Machina and um, Happy Mushroom, and we're uh, making a film or crafting a film uh, using LED wall technology and um, and driving it with the Unreal game engine. Um, and so that's currently what I'm working on, I'm putting all the paperwork together and finalizing the budget and meeting with these people. So that's what I'm doing currently now. I don't know if I'm going to jump on another film as a VFX coordinator, um, I may, but I'm not entirely sure right now. But uh, that's currently that's my focus. That's what I'm working on next. That's awesome. Well, uh, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, of course, there's you have so many photos there. I mean, I could talk about each one. They are again really incredible. Just a great uh, sort of pulling back the curtain into a process of filmmaking uh, that is, I wouldn't say very unusual, but it's very mysterious again, because we don't know a lot about sort of what went into 2049. Um, thank you for taking those photos. Thank you for sh sharing them with the world. Uh, I've continued to look at them over and over and over. Uh, certainly if, if people want to see them, uh, you can go to our Facebook page, uh, for our Shoulder Orion podcast and check them out there. We shared them actually from your initial share. Um, so again, thanks for doing that. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. And uh, essentially celebrating the two-year anniversary of this amazing film. Yeah, of course. Uh, my, my pleasure. And, and you know, I, I sort of have to, you know, if I didn't answer all of your questions or do it very articulately, it was sort of a walk down memory lane for me. So I sort of ended up just sort of uh, remembering all the, things I haven't thought about in a long time. So I appreciate you giving me a 
platform to do that. And I'm really glad that you enjoy the photographs. And that's kind of why I took them. And so this is, uh, even though it's two years from the making of the movie, uh, it's really nice that, uh, that people appreciate the photographs that I took because that's what I was hoping for. Uh, I wanted to preserve uh, a mysterious process. For sure. And hopefully I did. Yeah, and I also in closing, I would just uh, like to say on behalf of the Blade Runner community, I would uh, just like to thank you for all the, the photos that you share. It's uh, not very often that we we see those these kind of photos uh, from movie sets, but um, the crew and uh, one of those that work so hard on the film, I think that they are as important as the people in front of the camera. So. I just wanted to thank you for giving them a place and making them part of the Blade Runner universe. So thank you very much for that, Michael. My, my pleasure, and I feel the same way that you do.